Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, episode number two. I'm Tom Tremruth. Hi, everybody. I'm Andrew Schalk, and welcome to the show. We're excited today to have a great guest on our show, singer and songwriter extraordinaire Tom Wilson from Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. And Junkhouse. And Junkhouse. And then after the interview, we're going to talk about a Canadian gem, which is something that you may not have listened to in a while, but is worthy of a second glance. And then we're going to talk about guitar players. And a segment called Under the Radar about a Canadian artist you should check out. We're thrilled here to have Tom Wilson aboard as a member of the great Canadian band Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. So before we get started, you know, the last time we met was kind of kind of funny because I, I've got a selfie of you and me at Ancaster, um, what is it, Harper's? We were, I was looking for Flagstone. <laughs> I don't know what you were doing there. Yeah. And, and you oh, grabbed right, me and Harper. you said, let's have a selfie. <laughs> I was kind of like, I don't know, what, were you uh, buying flowers or something or... Uh, no, I buy, I usually go to Harper's to spend a lot of money. Yeah, I know. And, tell me uh, about it. Yeah, that's what I was doing. So I don't know what I bought, but. Yeah, but I was, uh, I was showing that selfie off to everybody. That was kind of, kind of nice. I mean, what a guy. He just grabs me and says, let's do a selfie and, and impressive. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm really something. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, undoubtedly, uh, we're going to get through a lot of stuff here, hopefully, because I, I don't know if I've met anybody recently, at least, that has the kind of stuff you have on your plate. When Alan, your manager, said, uh, yes, I was kind of like, wow, how is this guy going to even find 30 minutes or 15 with uh, your slate of activity? I mean, you, you know, we can start with the uh, doc, but I want everybody else to know out there that not only are you a top-notch musician, singer, and you're an incredible storyteller, you're an author. The book was extremely successful, called Beautiful Scars, of course. The doc, which we have seen, the two of us here. And I want to introduce you to my co-host here, Andrew, who is also a huge fan. And is, hey, Tom. Uh, nice to meet you. We've been uh, nonstop listening to your stuff. And Andrew Andrew, and I have been kind of like, wow, did you actually get through the 22 albums that he's, <laughs> he's, he's been part of? I, we actually, counted them I, up. I have. I have. Oh, I, work, okay. uh, I work in the restaurant business, so we uh, listen to music <laughs> all day long, every single day. Where, where do you live, Andrew? I live, uh, well, I'm, I'm just moving up to the Corth Lakes, right between uh, Bob Cajun and Fenland Falls right now. And, uh, oh, Fenland Falls, man. Yeah. So, that's an old stomping ground. I thought the best place we could start, Tom, if it's okay, was just jump right into the dock since it's uh, something we viewed in the last 48 hours. It's fresh in our mind. So I'm going to just start by saying my wife and I watched it, and I just thought, if this makes sense to you, it was nice and raw. And I know those two words don't necessarily go together, but it was also so honest that you didn't hold back on anything. And I, I've got to say that the fact that you're admitting that you were fucked up most of the time drinking and, and, and doing drugs, of course, uh, while you were pursuing your dreams, I thought looked really good on you just to, you know, put that out there for everybody and, you know, go into some of your, your deep memories. So thank you for doing that. And I think everybody's really going to appreciate that honesty. Well, you know, I suffered for others to benefit, let's just say, you know, I'm 23 years uh, clean and sober. Congratulations. So, um, Congratulations. So that uh, I'm talking about a guy that I, I don't even know, you know, I don't know who that guy was, you know. 
It's the same as talking about, you know, the kid that stole hockey cards from uh, the drugstore. You know what I mean? I don't know who that guy was either. Um, <laughs> you did so, that too? Um, well, yeah, I did. I did. Well, actually, you know, I've got a lot yeah. of stories about yeah. things, that, things that I stole in my life. Uh, they, 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 would, they would just come <laughs> cart me off to jail now. Um, the, the, uh, the documentary is funny. I was at a little garden party. Yes. Uh, because that's what kind of fellow I am now. I go to garden parties. Um, and you look perfectly said, in place I, there, I, by I, the way. Yeah. In those kind of places. Yeah. Well, I was uh, kind of the, uh, I was the bell of the ball there because everybody's seen the film or read the book. Yep. And uh, you know what? The, the film is really, uh, my mother and I were the last people standing in a long line of lies, a lifetime of lies. So, it, you know, the truth uh, is often considered uh, to be raw or um, cutting edge. Mm-hmm. Isn't it amazing that when people are just honest that the world, we all consider it cutting edge. It's just well, the fucking truth, man. It's like, we're just, we're just telling our story. We're just telling it as it is. And, um, uh, you know, the, the problem with the world is that we uh, are too guarded with one another and we don't really know one another anymore. And, and we need more conversations going on between one another to make this a better planet. If that starts with uh, talking about yourself or talking about your own life, so be it. I, I, the other thing about the movie and the other thing that about this is I just say I just say stuff right um, I, I don't really keep track of what I say so that that was important sorry guys just one sec this is it's okay you know hi honey hi babe how are you good I'm just doing it I'm uh, doing a zoom uh, uh, podcast interview right now and I'm probably I'm probably still gonna be doing that when you get home so um, uh, just to let you know so I won't be coming down or saying hi or Dancing on the front lawn. <laughs> Not today. Uh, nobody's home yet. Okay. No, I'm good. Okay. Bye, okay bye. Love you. Yeah. Love you too. Uh, she's an amazing gal. <laughs> I don't know how that happened either, you know. That's, that's lovely. <laughs> I had really poor guitar karma for years because in the 90s when I was in Junk House, uh, Takamine would send me guitars and I'd smash them. Oh. And, um, I smashed a whole bunch of guitars. In fact, the president of Sony at the time would encourage me to smash guitars. <laughs> and film and, and uh, film it and show it. Yeah, oh. he is, uh, I guess I was living his own teenage dreams. Uh, so I smashed all these guitars and, and then uh, I really didn't have a nice guitar for many, for about 10 years. Uh, I also couldn't afford anything. I was, I was flat broke, so I didn't have guitars. And then around 12 years ago, Mm -hmm. Uh, I started to make a bunch of money and things started to go well. And I figured I'm going to buy myself a nice guitar. And now I've got, now I've got a bunch of nice guitars. This equates to the way my relationships with women went. Uh, I didn't. There's a parallel there. I didn't smash any women. I I was, I wasn't physically abusive, but I was, I was a bit of a, a bit of a rascal. Yeah. I guess, you know, if we were going to put it in a playful term. Um, and and some, some people would say there was nothing playful about me, but it took me many years to get my love karma back together. So um, Margot is uh, pretty well a blessing. And and uh, she came to me uh, because it was time, I guess. Well, Tom, uh, how low did you actually get? I mean, I hate to be put you on the spot, but it looks like you hit some really low, low, uh, deep spots. Did you, did you hit the bottom? Well, I don't know. I, 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 a quote that Gary Furness used to say to me was, uh, was he said, you know, you, know you, you, you hit the bottom, you think you hit the bottom, and then you look down. 
Right. And Steve's still got a ways to go. Um, I was, I was, I was on a, I was on a path to, uh, well, I can't say I wanted to kill myself, but I definitely was on a path of destruction. Um, I was on, uh, I, I was, I was inside a rock and roll myth that was, uh, it took me a while to discover was a myth. Um, and it sounds like financially you weren't quite set either, like as far as uh, you, what you're spending. No, I, I, spent, I spent all the money on blow and, and oh, heroin. And, okay, and, okay. Uh, and, and I spent all the money on, you know, I just spent money, you know. I right. just didn't think about anything. I was a father. I was a father and I was a husband. And uh, I, just, I just ran through money like mad. I was completely irresponsible and completely uh, self-indulgent and wrapped up in myself. Well, this is the thing, you know what, and, and, and you, they teach you this in rehab, uh, is that, you know, you, you might think that you're on the road to recovery and you call, you say that you're in recovery when you're putting down the bottle and stopping drugs, etc. But really, um, uh, you might be on the road to recovery, but all those people that you fucked up out there, they're still mad at you and uh, their hearts are still broken. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, many, many years mm -hmm. before they actually uh, are capable of recovering, if they ever do recover. So is this all in the, uh, this is all in the late 90s, right? Uh, 96, 97, I believe? Yeah, I mean, it really went to hell. And, and I, don't, I don't hang my hat or make excuses for the person that I was. Tom Wilson's story, told in his book Beautiful Scars and a recent documentary of the same name, is an amazing one. He discovered in his mid-50s that the woman he thought was his cousin was actually his mother and that his aunt had adopted him. He also found out he had an indigenous heritage. His father was Mohawk. You, you didn't have an identity. Um, you didn't exactly know. Exactly right. Thank you, Tom. That, that, that's where I was going with this. Sure. You know, keep going, please. Without, you, you without felt you felt like an only child, even though, as it turns out, of course, you, you weren't. And by the way, I'm an only child, too. So when I started digging into your life, I, I started relating to, to you because music was your outlet, of course, which it is for millions of people out there. Yeah. Um, so so please elaborate on that. Without without if you take away uh, someone's language and their colors and their culture and they don't know who they are and they don't know where they were from. These are all things that. A lot of people take for granted, but there's a thread that runs through families, through households, through neighborhoods um, of, of skeletons in the closet and mm -hmm. secrets in families and people that never really find out who their mothers and real mothers and fathers are. And, uh, and that, that, that's quite uh, debilitating to an individual. And so you fill that hole in with... Um, destructive behavior sometimes sure uh that's that's where i went anyways i'm not saying that it, it, like i say it's not an excuse and it's not a place that uh everybody goes it's just the place it's the road that i chose right and that and that and on a uh, either as there's lots of adopted people walking around in the same situation there's also a lot of indigenous people who uh like me now i i never considered myself 60 scoop uh, but in the indigenous world, I am considered 60 scoop because I was taken away from my home, Ganawage. I was mm -hmm. taken away mm -hmm. from my true family. I was taken away from the opportunity to learn my language sure. and learn my culture. And uh, so I was brought up as a white kid, an Irish kid on the East Mountain of Hamilton. 
never never really fit in and uh, I've, I've said that I was uh, I was kind of a not an outcast but I was an uh, I was a loner an outsider and not a cool loner or outsider not a loner or outsider by choice I was just a loner and an outsider by nature Bill, so so thank 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 God you had music to turn to art th- art saves people because the idea of creating something that wasn't there yesterday, that's a gift, you know? And I mean, the ability to be able to drag something up, to drag something up from the bottom of your yep. lake, stir up the sludge at the bottom of your lake yep. and allow that to rise to the top and express yourself. Man, that is nothing but therapy. Hundreds of thousands of dollars cannot buy that kind of therapy. So that that ability, that creative process uh, that nurtures you, and uh, it can fill in a lot of the gaps. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough for me, or I wasn't indulging myself uh, in that enough. I think I only wanted to ask what when you started your art, uh, like your actual yeah. uh, indigenous art, because that, when did that all, all of a sudden become an outlet for you? Well, what I was getting at was, yeah. or I wanted to get at was, uh, you said in the movie, um, your daughter said uh, she didn't want you painting because it was cultural appropriation. And I thought that yeah. was a fascinating point because I was curious your your realization of your indigenous past did that happen before the painting or did the painting come first or when did it all sort of come together because I thought that would have been fascinating if the art came first um, the art definitely came first the art came uh, out uh, oh geez 10 20 years before I've been painting for 25 years I started painting um, to help myself to stop drinking in 1997, um, I know I knew that I needed to uh, stop drinking, so I tried for a second time in '97, and I was working on a record with Colin Cripps for Junk House called uh, Fuzz. Mm-hmm. We were writing songs like Shine and Great Song, uh, mm-hmm. um, And at the end of the day, I mean, we worked uh, we worked like uh, bankers bankers hours in some ways. You know, we work we'd start work at uh, ten in the morning and we'd finish at four in the afternoon, and Colin would go home. And, uh, you know, then it was like, okay, well, I'm going to start drinking now. So I started painting to uh, put an end to that. I decided I wanted to do something productive Mm -hmm. rather than destructive. So uh, I started painting, and that's what started coming out. I started doing these paintings, and then uh, I got asked to be uh, – people would come over to my house you know, like uh, cancer clinics and uh, women's shelters. Women's shelter was the first first group to come to my house, and they brought a bunch of my CDs. And they said, "Would you sign some of these CDs uh-huh. for our uh, for our silent auction? You guys want a painting?" Oh, <laughs> and, uh, okay. You know, and they'd say, "Yeah, we'd love a painting." And, uh, you know, we'd well, I right. forget what the paintings look like. Uh, so that's so, how it started. So uh-huh. th- they they would they would take these paintings and they would put them in the silent auction. And just a footnote to this story. The very first painting I ever did that I gave to that woman's shelter was in this house that I'm in. When I came in to see this house, when it was an open house, I came into this house to view this property. And your piece was on the wall? My piece was on the wall. Oh, come on. That's crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. Do you want to go a little deeper on this? We'll we'll get back to the artist. That's deep. Also, in 1981, 
I dated a girl across the street from this house and their dog used to chase me out of their basement (laughs) about four in the morning. And I used to hide behind a stone wall. The old farm stone wall is still in front of my house. And when I was 21, flat broke punk rocker, I said, if I ever make any money, I'm going to buy this house. And so <laughs> there, that's how. There you go. So I, I, I think I'm in the right well, place. Well, Tom, I have one one big question about your art. When you started doing your art, was it indigenous looking? Like, was it subconscious that you started going in that direction? Like, because you didn't obviously know you were a Mohawk yet, going back 25 years. But because it looks so indigenous to me. So is that coming through your oh, soul yeah. and soul it, it and was, somehow like just, wow, I mean, that's, that blows me away. It was even... Uh, it was even uh, more tribal, I'll tell you that. It was simpler. I mean, I mean, my art is very simple in itself. I mean, I'm, I'm very honest, as you know, you saw the movie. Yep. But I, I, I come to you, both of you, and tell you that I'm not much of a musician. I just like writing music. And I've been a musician for 47 years of my 63 years, you know. So... That's that's a long time being a musician. Well, don't be so don't I be also, so modest. I mean, you're an incredible storyteller. I mean, one of the well, best on this I, I planet, also, in my opinion. Uh, and that's a dyslexic. gift. That's a gift. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm you, also dyslexic, so I I have difficulty reading books. But somehow I'm writing my second book, and somehow I wrote a book for Random House that became a bestseller. So I can't figure. You're that extremely out. literate, so uh, you have a natural talent there. Just uh, like your art gets somehow gets to be channeled through, again your DNA, and and now now obviously. Um, I guess we can end this question on now that you know you're a Mohawk, has, has that art changed at all or is it going anywhere different or is it still evolving in the same direction or, well, it's, it's, or music and musically too? How about your music? Because we can touch on that too. Is, is what's, what's changed with, with even your writing now that you're, well, every, you're, everything I do now you're now, a proud Mohawk? Yeah, everything I do is to honor the Mohawk culture now. So the work okay. I do, I don't necessarily uh, just write songs about um, land back, uh, the land back movement and I just don't write songs about clean water although I just wrote a song for a TV show um, honoring the artist Christy Belcourt who, uh, who coined the phrase water is life mm-hmm. and who's, uh, who, who her movement water is life is, is bringing to a point the fact that so many indigenous communities don't have access to clean water and have not had access. Well, to don't even get me started on that. I don't understand that even in our own up north there, they're still working on that. That that blows me away. So uh, <laughs> we can oh, go, well, deep, we can go deep into that one day. <laughs> as, as a, as I don't a get caring, it. As a caring, sensitive human being, no, it doesn't make any sense to you. But no. I mean, we're still living inside a colonial system that tried to wipe out the indigenous population. Basically, the grossest attempt at genocide, uh, it's in biblical terms, our country is responsible for. So that's mm. why there's no clean water in this country. Oh, okay. But you know that's- what? Not every, song, not every song I write has to be about that, right? But that is, that's where my direction goes. If I am not discussing the issues in my art and my writing and my music, then I am, I, I am bringing poetry to, uh, to a culture that I'm still knocking on the door and, mm-hmm. and being invited into. Well, and by the way, uh, could you just briefly talk about your McMaster Indigenous Scholarship, please? Because that, that's something that um, I know is really close to your heart. And uh, I, I've heard you're off to a great uh, start on that, where you've raised a, a great amount of money already so quickly. And congratulations on that. Could you just talk a bit about that? Um, 
Well, McMaster came to me to, uh, they asked for my archives for their uh, library there. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my notebooks and, and things like that, they came, they wanted those, and that, that was great. Uh, but I thought I needed to do something to uh, to pay back or to pay forward. Mm-hmm. And so we started, uh, through my through my daughter's encouraging, we started the uh, very first Indigenous scholarship at McMaster University in honor of Bunny Wilson. We believe that uh, every Indigenous student that graduates from university becomes an uh, engineer or a doctor mm-hmm. or a lawyer sure. or a, a business person is, 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 is a step forward and a win against uh, colonial rule. Yep. So that's why that's in place. And, we, and we, we worked really hard on that in the last little while. And we managed to, uh, well, when I say we raised, I went to really very generous friends uh, and well-heeled, well-heeled yes. supporters. I saw the amount we, that was donated so far, and I go, you had two concerts. That's a lot of money to raise that, from two concerts that's from the attendance alone. So you must have some very generous friends, which is really important for this kind of cause. Well, you know to, what? To, we, there, there's numbers. Uh, we, there, there's a number, and then there's a number we have access to, and right now we're over $300,000. Incredible. Congratulations so we, we on okay, that. We did okay with that, you know, but I mean, that's... That's definitely a labor of love, Tom. Mm-hmm. Your direction now, is it uh, changed in the, in the art? Well, it's gotten broader. I mean, uh, okay. uh, now now we're creating uh, now we're creating installations. Uh, we have an exhibit uh, that's opening. It op- actually opened at McMaster last month, and it's going to uh, open in Stratford in uh-huh. August, and it's a residential school piece. Created nine school desks with the... Uh, the images burned into them of uh, indigenous families, one of them being my great-grandfather. And as you move forward in the rows of desks, the images start to disappear, representing the effects of residential schools and colonialism on, on young kids. From 93, I'm just going from the uh, the documentary, you know, uh, with Gary Furness, you said you were a force of nature, you were the, in the flagship band of Canada, and you were on the cover of Billboard magazine. And then then when the end of Junk House went, you know, you know, it came, you said you were swimming to the bottom, trying to kill yourself, identity crisis in Junk House, no home to go back to, out there alone and knee deep in sin. And I'm curious. If that was the change for you musically, stylistically, when you moved into Blackie and the Rodeo Kings, because I noticed a huge distinction in the style, the musicianship, the uh, the the roots, the references, and everything in there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a. I mean, I was listening to that all the Question. way over this morning, and I'm just fascinated by. I mean, you said you're not very proficient musically, and I would say some of that stuff in Blackie, I think, is is off the charts. Absolutely. Well, you know, one, there's one rule. If you're a shitty guitar player, get in a band with really great guitar players. <laughs> Nobody will really notice. Nobody really will really notice you're playing at all. So there. Yeah, you but go. without without um, the unique voice, though, you got nothing. Like, let's face I guess, it. I guess so. And and thank you for that, guys, because it's a real compliment. I, I, how's this? It's not like I'm I'm not looking for pity, and I'm not uh, I'm not stopping what I'm doing. Uh, it's just an observation on my part. Blacking the Rodeo Kings was started in 1996, so it was right in the middle of the junk house okay. uh, era with Sony. I guess uh, somebody got permission for me to be able to record outside of uh, Sony and Columbia Records, and it was for a project, uh, a one-off. So we may were to make one record. And uh, we jokingly, uh, Colin Linden and Stephen Fearing jokingly wanted to put together a uh, tribute band to uh, a writer named Willie P. Bennett. Mm. Willie P. Bennett was a guy that I knew from the coffee house circuit back when I was in my teens. He was somebody that took me under his wing along with people like 
David Whiffen and Murray McLaughlin, Doug MacArthur, etc. But uh, I had a true, true love for Willie P. Bennett, and he was the important thing that he did as an artist, which is the most important thing that we can do as artists, is open up the door of possibilities to the next guy coming through. And he mm-hmm. opened up that door for me and showed me, you know, what the possibilities were in writing songs. Uh, not as far as money goes. I just mean the creative possibilities. So that that actually, Blackie and the Rodeo Kings did start during the uh, uh, during the junk house era. And it was funny. I'll finish off this sure. portion with this. I used to be, uh, you know, junk house was off to Australia and Europe and all over the world touring. And they had this thing on radio all over the world. It was annoying. You see, it used to be your desert island pick or something like that. The yep. one album or song. Yep. And they'd think that because I was in a rock and roll band that I don't know what they would pick. They'll think I would pick The Who or, I don't know, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix or something. And I always said this guy, Willie P. Bennett, and they didn't know who he was, and they didn't have any records of his to play at the station. So... Um, it, it, it was he was somebody that I wore on my sleeve even through uh, junk house. He his writing is is got an important plays an important role in everything I did. So that's how Blackie and the Rodeo King started. We went in the studio to make one record, and uh, twenty five years later, we uh, were playing Massey he, Hall on uh, October twenty well, eighth on our on our twenty fifth anniversary tour. Yes. So uh, what's happening now with the touring? Are you guys putting something together? Uh, another global jaunt? I mean, now that the pandemic is over, are you just dying to get up there and start playing again? I'm not dying to do anything. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to stay alive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you're playing I, some beautiful uh, concert halls, I noticed, uh, coming up. So, uh, like, do you actually head over? I think you're playing a show in Europe, too, if I'm not mistaken. Is that yeah, a one-off? Yeah, we're over in the U.K. Yeah. We're over in the U.K., and I'm also supposed to be doing a uh, performance in Ireland uh, with the book. Is the rest so of the world starting to catch up? the book and the music, I kind of get around. So we're doing a show in Europe. We're also playing Golden Gate Park in wow. San Francisco. Oh, wow. uh, at the Hardly Strictly uh, Festival, probably going to play the Grand Old Opry and yep. also an entire Canadian tour that includes Massey Hall, these beautiful, beautiful halls that I only ever dreamed about playing about around as a kid, like Massey Hall. Well, Tom, it's only taken you 25 theater. years to get there, but most people never get there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... Um, so that's a fact. It's the thing, you know, uh, when, you, when you talk to... Uh, the sad thing is that artists often... Their success is not based off their art. Their success is often based off of what the world considers successful. So how many numbers you do and how many records you sell are is way more important about this than than the music or the art that you're creating in that day. So but they were dreams. The Massey Hall's always been a dream of mine. I've seen so many great concerts there since I was a kid, and uh, I'm gonna be able to play the new Massey Hall now. So so that's great. Yeah, so, uh, Andrew, any more uh, Giancarlo's questions? Because I know you were um, digging deep into into those albums. And, uh, you know, I, I was also a huge fan, so please go for it, because I want to mention a couple of I'm just curious, is, is that. that, have you closed the door on that part of your career? Is it, uh, I mean, I know the guitar player passed away. I mean, it's, and I'm sort of curious how this sort of plays into your entire career. Like, will you one day do a tour where you cover all of these these elements in your shows? Well, I'll cover it. You know, you got to do is shout out the song if I can remember it. I'll <laughs> <laughs> That's how simple it is. But there's no, uh, I mean, uh, Junk House go out and play a couple times a year. I mean, uh, obviously. And well, that I, I didn't know. Uh, Shit, I got to know about that. I hate to sound like, uh, I don't know. 
uh, Jim Cuddy or something, but you know, if the money's there, I'll show up. <laughs> you know what I loved about Junkhouse is uh, when I saw some of the videos that you did, it was like, wow, that's got to be coming from somewhere, not where I live, like some something like uh, the equivalent of Liverpool or Manchester, and of course it's Hamilton. <laughs> so, yeah. you, you know, the edginess of Hamilton caught me right away, and, and you're, you know, sorry, I'm done. when I say this, your scary sort of persona really came off like, who the hell is this fucking guy up there? And he's, he's imposing, and he's huge, and he's scary, but there's nothing like it out there, and and, and uh, I'm surprised. I mean, I know you guys were successful. Did you did you manage to get a success outside of this country, or is that one of the reasons you also finally had to Yeah, we up? had, well, you know, out of my head was number one uh, in Europe. I remember oh, really? Up. Shit, that's great. I remember waking up in a hotel room in uh, Lubin, a great Belgium, song. and turning on the TV, and uh, MTV was on, and there we were. And So you mentioned uh, Willie P. Bennett. I'm curious, where else did you come from musically? I mean, you mentioned the Florida Razors. I mean, that's that's an interesting... And then, you know, it changed over to, you know, alternative. And then, you know, you got into the, you know, the folk country blues. I'm curious, where did, where did you come from musically? Well, this is a really good question. It is. Because uh, where I come from, where I came from was uh, my mother, my real mother, Janie Lazar. Um, she used to come and visit uh, me or the house that I lived in. And she used to bring records. So she brought Gordon Lightfoot's first record. She brought Bobby mm. St. Marine. She brought Leonard Cohen. You know what I mean? So my... Um, my true roots really go back to uh, the ability to sit around a kitchen table and uh, and play songs to one another. That's where it comes from for me. So um, that's where I started. And I worked in coffee houses and I worked in bars. And I realized that uh, uh, I didn't want to be in a band. I didn't want to have to share my ideas or share my ambitions with people. Now, when I say that, I mean, uh, I just couldn't find people that wanted to do the same thing that I wanted to do or that were as desperate to do what I was doing. That's a difficult job. There's always some guy that would rather, you know, be drinking beer or some guy that would rather get a day job, you know, and I wasn't that guy. So um, even uh, through the Florida Razors, which was, uh, I just moved my songs uh, into Amplified. I just realized that what I was doing, playing acoustic guitar in, in, you know, fern bars, was not going to be uh, not going to be the end or the beginning of anything great for me. Yeah, you so, ramped it up um, with, the, with the razors for I sure. I put together a band. I put together a band that uh, was loud and mighty and strong enough that could go and tour with Teenage Head. You know, that's that was it. So that was still music that came that was just transformed from my folk days into rock and roll. Now, here's the interesting thing. Junk House, and I know that you've said it twice, and I actually don't mind because it comes from the alternative era of mm-hmm. music yeah um there's nothing alternative about junk house really musically we were a band that were started at my kitchen table playing songs i went to new orleans mm-hmm. with daniel lanois mm-hmm. and uh realized that uh that what i was doing just wasn't dying because what he was doing with his first album Acadie, was exactly how i thought about music so i went back to hamilton and Ray Ferrugio and I, uh, the drummer from Junk House, were playing songs around the kitchen table. We just turned it into Junk House somehow. But those songs were all, I could sit around the acoustic guitar and play every one of those songs, uh, and I could go to a folk club and play every one of those songs, and uh, that's what they were. And still, right through Junk House, right through Blackie and the Rodeo Kings, 
right through Lee Harvey Osmond, even through what I was working on earlier today. Mm-hmm. It all comes from a pack of smokes and a pot of coffee and a kitchen table and a couple guitars. That's what it's all about. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. From the movie, Daniel Lanois said of you, the gifted voice will always rise to the surface. And I guess He's I right. can see what you're saying. <laughs> It's the songs, you know, and, and, it's, and the it's, not, it's not the, the, the labels, the alternative, whatever. It's, it's the songs. If you break them right down, yep. if you've got good quality songs, they work in a number of different formats. Yeah, well, it's true. Uh, and if you, uh, you know, we all know the difference uh, when we listen to artists, whether we are hearing their true voice, if they found their voice or if they haven't. And, uh, um, you know, we hear people. I mean, uh, there's a tendency to imitate, you know, the people that we love and that are inspired by, but to be able to find your your true voice. And I'm telling you guys, uh, I know that you like, you know, that, that clearly. And thank you for loving Junkhouse and Blacking the Rodeo King. We love I'm, them all. <laughs> I'm still working. I'm still working on finding my my true voice. So uh, look out. Well, can <laughs> I? Know? Yeah. Sorry. Just uh, one quick comment before before you go there, Andrew. I just wanted to say does the city of hamilton did it play a role sort of subliminally because it was so gritty and so you know or or is that or is that it wouldn't have mattered where you were to to become you know that kind of artist because everything you do to me has a little bit of edge to it or is that just or is that just inbred from your personality and it would have happened anywhere or what do you think because hamilton does also breeds a lot of cool artists that have yeah, it does. And most of the people that come out of this town uh, have come from a place where uh, people would just as soon punch you in the throat than pat you on the head. You know? <laughs> and um, okay. and that you know that 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 builds character. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of a lot of my youth was uh, character building. You know, a lot of a lot of the work that I did, even with Junkhouse, even though I drove my life completely into the ditch, it was character building. I feel that I'm a more generous, loving person uh, because of that. And as the line goes, uh, you got to sin to get saved. If you don't, uh, if you don't find out what the dark side uh, of who you are is, then uh, then it's always lurking, ready to take a bite out of your ass. Sorry, can I ask one quick question? You mentioned Danny Lenoir a minute ago. I'm curious, did that experience sort of fine-tune or hone because he brought you down to New Orleans and he gave you the time to work on songs. Did that sort of move forward for you? Was that sort of a time when it sort of... question, Andrew. The dots started all coming together where you worked with a producer and then sort of the aha moment. Mm -hmm. Dan Dan continues to be the aha moment for me. Ah, Um, interesting. uh, The music that he releases is, is... always inspiring to me mm-hmm. and uh, once again it's not something that I tried to uh, imitate but it does open up door of possibilities every goddamn time mm-hmm. Lanois is a guy who is sitting down in his house in Hollywood right now uh, in fact I talked to him this morning it's like a guy gets up at four in the morning and starts to work Wow, guy That's is awesome. probably 73 years old unreal Probably is Good as rich as God, okay, <laughs> and has di- had an incredible career producing, incredible and writing, writing for artists, but he does not stop. So, well, that's the key to surviving longer. That's the key. 
Yeah, maybe some of that just uh, drift. I recognize that. And and I knew him when he was Danny Lanois. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, starting working in his mother's, you know, had a studio in his mother's basement. And I wasn't taken to New Orleans for him to produce me. He just said, you know, you should just come on down here and, and mm-hmm. uh, soak uh, up the vibe kind of thing. Him, yeah. Quote him, get out of Dodge, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I, I was able to see in New Orleans uh, how these guys, not, not the mechanics of how they worked, just the spirit, the spirituality that goes into the work and that there is a higher level uh, of, of consciousness uh, and there's a higher calling inside art that I just wasn't seeing at the time. Hmm. Yes, that's... Uh a hell of a guy to be influenced by one of the world's best and still is, definitely, as you said. Definitely. So, and he's Canadian, which, I mean. <laughs> I thought that must have been a fascinating experience. I mean, just to give you the room to do what you need to do and not sort of worry about all the other bits and pieces to sort of focus on your creating your art. Well, yeah, and that's that's really what we all want. I mean, I have to tell you that um, uh, I get to write music. I get to write my second book. I get to uh, and Tom, kudos, kudos on your yeah. songs that have been covered too. I just I, I have to throw that into there too. I didn't know you had Lucinda Williams and City and Color and Ma- and Sarah McLaughlin and all these artists cover your songs. I mean, uh, you've kept uh, Sony pretty happy over the years. I'm sure. Well. <laughs> Well, they uh, uh, either either they've covered them or, or they've shared a mic with me and sang them with. And they've been on your albums, of course, the Blackie albums. You've had all sorts of your heroes mm-hmm. on, on those albums, which yeah. was, was a fantastic yeah. idea. Whoever whoever yeah. thought of that, that was brilliant. The vocals on those albums, I think, is oh, off, the off the charts. Off the charts, fascinating. The backup yeah, vocals, the everything. It's uh, oh, very. I never thought of that idea. We were sitting in a very literally cool. sitting in a in a boxcar. I'm not even joking. <laughs> we were, uh, we were crossing Canada and we needed to rehearse for a show. So we found a, a an empty boxcar on the train we were traveling on across Canada and we were rehearsing. And, uh, he said, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we, uh, we did a, an album with all the, we were talking about the women that loved our band, not us, just the, <laughs> right. and, 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 and okay. the women that went right off the top of Right off the top of our heads, it was like Lucinda Williams, Emmy Lou Harris, Pam Tillis, Roseanne Cash. The best in the biz. We were talking about how, wouldn't it be cool if we if we could sing with them? You know, maybe we should write a song and do something and call them, wow. so why don't we make a record? We could call it Kings and Queens. And it was like, wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> it so is. And that's it- how... That's how that idea came about. And it happened. Wow. A lot of times those great ideas don't happen. So that that's a wonderful uh, story there. Um, yeah. I'd like you just to sort of wrap up with, if you wouldn't mind just mentioning all the zillion things you, you're you're doing and coming up, if you want to just sort of briefly tell us what, what are you doing in the next, uh, let's say, half a year to a year? What, what's on your plate? I don't know when this is getting aired, but the uh, movie opens at the uh, Ted Rogers Theatre on Bloor Street in Toronto mm-hmm. this week. And it goes to Hamilton. So the, the film is making uh, making the rounds of right. uh, repertory theaters around the country. Um, I'm working, writing with Serena Ryder next week. We become uh, oh, partners, partners wonderful. in crime. Great. Um, I uh, also have uh, an art exhibit uh, that I've been asked to be a part of uh, involving the lyrics of the Tragically Hip. Wow. And, oh, wow. Uh, and I've created, you know, I, I went ahead and, kind of created this uh, this piece with Gord Downey's lyrics. 
Um, I, I built an eight foot nun and then I wrote Gordon's <laughs> okay. lyrics uh, and then I put the names of a uh, thousand children that have been found on the uh, grounds oh, of residential wow. schools. And that's opening in Bracebridge. And uh, Daniel Lanois is a part of that. Several artists, several musicians are a part of that. Wow. So that, that's kind of a cool show. Thank you so much uh, for mentioning that. I had no yeah, idea. Well, I have to check that. We have to all check that out. Please. Yeah, that's, it's up that's in uh, Bracebridge Hall, in a nice little hall up there. And then you're doing so, a show, I noticed, in Huntsville, too, a solo show. Uh, I'm doing I a believe. show with uh, Isquay there. Was Isquay yeah, there, so yeah, Isquay. so that, that sounds Black great, too. Rodeo Kings, uh, Black and the Rodeo Kings have a new album coming out, Oh Glory. July and, uh, 8th, Isquay. I believe, or what, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, Isquay and I have a new album coming out later this month. Okay, And we already great. have a single called uh, Long Way Down Tonight that I wrote with Serena Ryder. Actually, yep. I started writing the song with a stake on my chest in a, re- in a, in a hotel room in Calgary. <laughs> okay. um, I ordered room, can you believe this? I ordered room service. And they said, well, we don't have room service, but we'll connect you with the restaurant that's attached to our lobby. I said, okay. They said, it's the keg. I thought, wow, man, that's great. So I ordered this steak and I was playing guitar in bed and I was so hungry that I was And a song appeared. And I put put the steak on my chest and I had the guitar and I was kind of feeding myself steak and playing the guitar and I wrote this song what a visual down tonight and I brought it to Serena Ryder it's fantastic and that's I brought great. it to Serena Ryder and uh, and she finished it off and uh, so that single I, you got actually take a look for that I will that's that's a new, that's an EP part of an EP I think that's coming shortly yeah, uh, yeah. I believe so but um, that song I think you guys would like that song we're gonna check cool. it out for definitely, sure definitely definitely. yeah please do there's a ton of stuff to check out here and thank you so much for your time and uh, oh you guys are so sweet this, this is for having this me. has been an honor for us and a privilege to uh, interview you and thanks for taking the time and um, yes uh We'll be out there checking you out wherever we can and maybe going to everything you're doing. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm already starting to so. look at Huntsville as a nice uh, little outing for the weekend to go check you out. <laughs> well, it'd, be nice, it'd be nice to see you both. And, and yeah, thank, thank, you. thank you very much, Tom. Thank All you. Right. Take Bye-bye. care, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. By the way, we have posted some of Tom's art, including a picture of his newest work, on our Facebook page for the Talk Music Podcast for you to see. Blackie and the Rodeo King's new album, Oh Glory, drops the first week of July, and of course, look for his Canadian dates starting at the Mariposa Festival. Then coming to London and Toronto in October, and then they tour across the West in November, finishing in Hamilton, Ottawa, next December. Okay, I'm going to talk about a Canadian gem or an album that maybe has or was your favorite way back in the day and uh, maybe you still listen to it or maybe you haven't listened to it in a while but anyway one album that for me is a gem uh, of, of extreme proportion is the Rio Statics Whale Music oh good choice Whale Music was released in 1992 by Sire Records and was their third album after uh, Melville which garnered them a little bit of success in Canada and, uh, and also they had a video that was on uh, much music so that got some uh, got them a lot of exposure but uh, whale music was I think a gem because of a number of reasons and the first is because the band had been playing live everywhere they had been playing all over Ontario all over Canada they had been driving back and forth to Vancouver they've been playing the railway club they had been playing in Toronto the ultrasound show bar they were playing the Rivoli they were playing the horseshoe I saw them at Trenton University I saw them at Queens University so at this point the band was uh, extraordinarily well 
road tested. Their songs were tight. They were well-oiled machine. They were a well-oiled machine. <laughs> they had uh, all the songs were ironed out. All the the songwriting was really tight. And the second reason why this is a great album is because there's a lot of music. The the musical styles range across the board in this album. You've got you've got really heavy driving guitars and drums, and then you get more melodic songs of beautiful harmonies. And another thing which which made it really good was it had a huge veneer of uh, Canadian themes that were running throughout. So, for example, the song King of the Past, you had references to uh, Louis Riel, you had uh, references to Fredericton, and and you had references to Snow and Ice, which, you know, you can't get any more Canadian than that, right? But the final reason, and perhaps the, the biggest reason in my mind of why this is a gem, is because you had four incredible musicians playing, at, and they were firing on all cylinders. You had Martin Tielli, who was uh, phenomenal on guitar here, with uh, simple yet elegant solos. You had uh, Dave Clark, who was a phenomenal... Great drummer. Oh, an amazing Great drummer. drummer. Yes. You know, I think of Frank Zappa. He could have played with Frank Zappa, yeah. you know? You know, he brought a, a jazzy, unique style, you know. They and must was, have recorded the album pretty live, too, I would think, with those kind of great players. They must have. I they mean, must have. like I said, I saw them when they were actually recording this band, you know, or yeah. recording that album at various shows, and they said, oh, we were recording today, and now we're just going to, you know, keep practicing. And so... They had the chops to be able to pull that off. They had off. the chops to pull it off. Uh, Tim Vesley, another guy, the bass player, you know, he's, uh, he's a great singer, great songwriter. He did, uh, you know, Soul Glue, which is another phenomenal song. And lastly, the great Dave Bedini, who, you know, I mean, he's a phenomenal writer, you know, an accomplished writer. Agreed. And, uh, you know, songs like I've, I've read a book or two of his in the last few years. I can't remember the names, but... On a Dark Road was, that's actually my favorite. That's, you know, when yeah. he talks about... Great author. You know going back and forth across Canada, and yep. they also mentioned a lot of the other Canadian bands that they crossed paths with. Yes. And so, so anyway, that's my Canadian gem, and that I think is worthy of a second, if not third or fourth listen. There you go. I'm going to go check it out tomorrow <laughs> or on my way home tonight from your beautiful backyard here. We're sitting out in the sun after hold up for the last four months, so... Uh, just wanted people to, to know we're sitting in a beautiful backyard with the sun shining on our faces. Okay, now we're going to go to a, uh, a short little section that uh, we came up with called Under the Radar. And this is where we're going to just feature Canadian artists that, for whatever reason, is under the radar, of which there could be a million reasons why. Anyway, my first choice is Les Stroud, also known as, yes, Mr. Survivor Man. The guy you've seen on TV, you know, escape floods and storms and wild animals. And, you know, he hasn't eaten for like 20 days and he's done all these weird things in, in the jungle with, you know, people that are cannibals and all sorts of crazy stuff. The same guy. Believe it or not, he's a terrific songwriter. I've seen, I've seen him live in Pittsburgh, as a matter of fact, at a casino where I, I was just mesmerized because he's, he's, he's the kind of guy that... Uh, he, he goes up there and he starts doing a narrative with all his Survivor Man stories mixed in with the music. <laughs> and, he, and his voice is like Don Henley. It's great. Wow. It's great. And uh, then he starts playing harp. And his harp is like, he's one of the best in the world. He's open for Journey. He's been on stage with, I mean, Journey. And this is all over YouTube. Uh, wow. He just, he just uh, did some harp for Bruce Coburn a few weeks ago. He, he's, he might be one of the best in the world. 
and he's actually released uh, an album uh, not that long ago. And believe it or not, the guy who produced it is the guy who did Guns N' Roses, the biggest album. Mike Clink. Mike Clink. Mike Clink produced the record for wow. Les Stroud. Yes. And, and, you know, I just have to get a plug in here for this guy because, again, all his narratives of his stories and that are, are, are great. And he deserves, he deserves more people to come out to his shows. He plays once in a while. Again, I was fortunate enough to see him, and he was extremely personable. He went, everybody came up, and, you know, he signed everything that he could. And uh, I just don't think he gets enough respect yet because people are going, well, you're a survivor, man. How can you be in the jungle? You're not practicing enough. <laughs> you know, you haven't put in your 10,000 hours. Uh, he has. Trust me, he has. He's, he's that good, so he's my choice. Moving on to the next section, I think we're going to talk about, or I, I know we're going to talk about guitar players. Oh, oh. And I, I'm, a, I'm excited I'm a about big this guitar one. guy. I play, so I, I've got, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I always had that fascination. I hope you with haven't the chosen guitar. the same guy as me. Please. <laughs> we probably, we, <laughs> that'd be interesting to see. Be interesting. Anyway, the guy that I chose for this episode's uh, guitar player, or my favorite guitar player, is none other than Warren Haynes. Oh. Warren Haynes. This Warren is... Warren Haynes. Okay, let me think about that. For Warren a Haynes. He's been in about 50 different bands. <laughs> he has been in 50 different bands, and he's probably the, or, you know, has been one of the hardest working men in rock music today. I mean, he's, uh, he's been everywhere. A little bio about Warren Haynes. He started playing in 1980 doing uh, session work, and he was uh, lucky enough to co-write a song that was taken up by none other than Garth Brooks. It oh, wow. On his Cashola right there. Cashola. It was uh, two of a kind, working on a full house. And this was uh, in uh, Garth's No Fences album in 1990. And with that number one for 20 weeks. Oh, there's so, a nice house there. <laughs> there's a nice house. There's a nice career. And anyway, shortly after that, he joined the Dickie Betts in the Dickie Betts Band in 1987. The um, Allman Brothers were on uh, a bit of a hiatus right about then, and then when the Allman Brothers got back together again, Dickie said, hey, you know what, we're a guitar player down, so we want you to come in and fill the role of Dwayne Allman. So hey, there, that says a lot about his playing. And then after that, in 1996, he left the, uh, the Allmans and then formed Government Mule, and then uh, he's been touring pretty much continually ever since then. And uh, just a, a little, few little snippets about him. He played with the Dead to replace Jerry Garcia. So you can say he's replaced ah. two of well, that's a big deal. Some of the biggest guitar players in in rock music. He played with uh, Phil Lesh and Friends and uh, regularly. He also played with Dave Matthews regularly in the early two thousands. And then uh, the the Almonds got back together again in 2000, and then they called it a quits about 15 years after that. So pretty much he is only doing Government Mule now and just doing session work. So he's, uh, as he, I said, he okay. is my, my guitar player, so I'm interested okay, who yours okay. is. Well, hands down, I've got, I've got the winner here, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be Jeff Beck. Come on, there's nobody on the planet that can touch him. Yeah, that is, come on. That is true. He, 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 come on, he plays with his fingers, no pick. He plays with his fingers, and he plays okay. with his and, and, and let's keep going. His technique is impeccable. And he seems to be getting better and better as he gets older. Like, <laughs> he's not repeating himself. And his tone is perfect. His perfect. tone is perfect. Okay. 
what else can I say? His um, body of work. I mean, where's a bad album that he's been in? Show me one. Or play no, me one. True. The guy's got everything. Uh, all the guitarists around the world, I bet you nine out of ten, or you know, seven or eight out of ten would would put him yeah. either number one, two, or three. Uh, so I, I've got to go with him. Um, for me personally, th there's an album called Jeff Beck Group. And uh, I still play a lot till this day. As a matter of fact, I just played it the other day, and it probably has my favorite instrumental track of all time on it. Definitely, maybe it's called. And uh, it's just got Max Middleton on keys and Jeff Beck playing so soulfully and that kind of like really slow, bluesy kind of like, and you can't even call them just blues. Like, I don't know what you call it. It's just a hybrid of all sorts of different emotions and I still I get chills when I when I even think about the song it just moves me almost to tears it's he's that good the, the album wired you know blow by blow blow by blow that that is the orchestration one of my, by, my top 10 it, didn't top George 10, Martin definitely. do the orchestration for that yeah he did yeah. there you go yeah I mean this is a masterpiece we're talking about right yeah I even like uh <laughs> flash I thought that was great oh which one in the uh, early 80s oh uh, late okay. 80s oh and then that was great and then he got back in the uh, oh, guitar yeah. workshop okay. that was another great one okay yeah yeah, guitar yeah. garage sorry oh, guitar that's right yeah guitar garage okay. that one. I mean I heard even Freddie Mercury was a big fan of that yeah. album says you know if only we could do songs like that well again back to his body of work there, there there aren't any bad records that you'd throw on and go oh my god you missed the mark here my friend they are they're all at least great and, and At least great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, even the newer so. ones, I find the newer ones, you know, he's uh, he's always been a big fan of technology and I always found that he used it tastefully and he didn't, uh, it didn't over overshadow his playing or anything like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, he did a big thing a few years ago with, he did a, a retrospective uh, show down in Hollywood. Yep. And they made a video out of that and they did a biography out of that. And it's fascinating. I bought both of those. And well, you made a good point there. Also, when he's had vocalists, he knows how to work around the vocalists, not get in their way, but still be uh, really cool and really interesting to, to hear. Yeah. That's a talent. You and know, a lot also, of guys overplay. That's true. And he's also got a thing for female bass players. Phenomenal female bass players. <laughs> Let's I don't call know him what up it and is. ask him what it is. <laughs> like he's 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 got this incredible style about it. Yeah, you know, and it makes nice his shows too. very interesting. You know, they're yeah. not boring by any stretch. You know, I mean he played with Terry Bosio. I saw him a few times with Terry Bosio. Yeah. On the drums, and then he had Tony Hymas and he's had uh, Jan Heimer in his band, which yeah. is which is another oh, phenomenal, phenomenal player. You know, uh, I'm not usually a groupie, but and I'm a, I'm a keyboard player, but he's somebody I would love to just sit down and, you know, if I had an extra million dollars to spend, I'd spend a million and put them in my backyard for my friends <laughs> and go, go and play for now. It's worth a million. <laughs> it is, yeah. And those guys seem to get, be getting better. Like I said, their albums... And not, he's no spring not... chicken, by the way. He's up there. He's still playing great. Is he really? He's, he's, not, he's around 70-ish, around there. Oh, wow. Yeah, if not even past that. He might be past now. Well, they're not lying back or sitting back on their laurels. And, and he's on tour, as a matter of fact. I'm considering flying to England to see him. He's on tour this summer. Wow. Yep, this summer. I just saw it in uh, some magazine, Classic Rock magazine, as a matter of fact. So I'm going to mention also, there's a couple of great guitar players in Canada. And I'm going to just mention a couple of names because I think they deserve mention when we're talking about guitarists. One is Ken Greer from Tom Crockett's personal, uh, he's played on some of my production work before, just an amazing player. If you go see Tom Cochran, you'll know who I'm talking about, mm -hmm. world class. And another guy called Kevin Bright, who used to play with Nora Jones, and I worked with him as well. Phenomenal, phenomenal talent. So these are two great guitar players to check out, Ken Greer and Kevin Bright.
So this brings us to the end of episode number two of the Talk Music Podcast. I'm Andrew Schalk. And I'm Tom Termuth. I want to thank Tom Wilson and his manager, Alan Moy, and Gary Furness for putting this together. And I thank you everybody for listening as well. We will see you next week. I hope everybody returns. (laughs) 